Hello and welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Football across Europe and much of the world is back for the 2020-2021 season, including the Premier League with the first round of games having taken place last weekend. Um, Vardy was at the double, Salah at the triple and Aubameyang still managed to get on the score sheet despite the ongoing contract situation which has now been resolved, um, meaning it was something of a, an excellent start for any fantasy Premier League managers um, up and down the land, myself included. Um from more of an under-23 perspective, though, we saw Ebre Eze take to the field for Crystal Palace in what was his first Premier League outing in the 1-0 win over Southampton. No Mohamed Salisu for the Saints in that game, as he reportedly builds fitness, but he's coming soon, no doubt. The big news, of course, though, was Leeds United's 16-year wait to return to the top flight is over. And what an occasion that was, going down 4-3 to Liverpool at Anfield, where probably the pick of the bunch uh, was Jack Harrison's goal, weaving in and out of Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez. Um, but today is not about the Premier League. We've, we've already covered the under-23s in every Premier League squad on our first exclusive Patreon podcast, which you can subscribe to for as little as £3 per month right now. Um, on there, you'll get an additional four long-form analysis pieces per month, as well as an extra podcast episode every 30 days, which we all know is the real reason to sign up. Um, today's episode is on the four of the other top five European leagues, some of which kicked off before the Premier League, others which got underway this past weekend as well. Um, to walk and talk us through Serie A, Bundesliga, La Liga and Liga, we have the Juventino himself, Stephen Ganavas, who I'm sure will be very glad I'm no longer asking him what he thinks of the various youth prospects at Fulham and West Brom, um, on the continent certainly where Steve's expertise lies. Um, looking forward to this one? Yeah, it's going to be good. Looking forward to the season as well and uh, Serie A kicking off this week especially. Well, I think that's probably the best place to get started then, Serie A. Um, you know, we, we spoke at length earlier this summer about Juventus's need for a rebuild, um, and that episode is available on all platforms. And transfers was a big topic during that recording. Um, aside from Juve, which transfers, uh, bonus points if it concerns an under-23 player, which transfers in Serie A have, have piqued your interest the most this year? Yeah, I think uh, there's probably a few. I think... Um... Marish Kumbula's move is pretty much done today uh, to send him to Roma, which I think is going to be a really uh, interesting move. Uh, Victor Osimhen, uh, I think, is going to be uh, a really key player for Napoli this season. Tonali, uh, Hakimi, there's a few, uh, yeah, very important pieces uh, that have arrived at a young players that uh, some of the top teams are hoping is going to boost their chances of uh, winning a title this season. Yeah, Milan hoping that, you know, this season it's finally going to click for them. Um, they do have Sandro Tonali at the club now uh, on an initial loan deal, um, obviously with the obligation to buy like so many Italian clubs do. But just sort of picking apart that that deal, you know, it's a 10 million euro loan fee, uh, then a 25 million obligation and then a potential 10 million further in add-ons. I mean, that's a player who could potentially anchor a midfield for a decade for less than 50 million euros. I mean, despite playing for, for relegated Brescia last season, he was consistently one of the league's best creators, you know, ranking highly for XA. That's that's very good business, isn't it? Yeah, to be honest, I actually think that the fee is probably pr- around the pretty fair mark. I, I, I don't think it's a massive bargain, um, but they definitely haven't overpaid either. Um, yeah, I think for what we've seen of him so far is that he's really good. Um but maybe not quite like that, uh, you know, destined for undisputed greatness level just yet. 
Um, I think I've said this before, maybe not on earlier any earlier pods, uh, but definitely in other pods that I've been on, um, that I'd still probably, if I had the choice of the of him or someone like um, Zaniolo, I'd still probably want to have Zaniolo in my team. Is kind of just more of that, you know, that got that something something else about him. Um, but yeah, this is still good business. Uh, the fit in Milan uh, is really nice. Um, alongside Benesse and Kessie, I think it's going to be, uh, yeah, a really good fit. You've got Benesse as that, you know, tenacious, dynamic ball winner that sits at the base in the midfield and he's going to uh, progress the ball well, both uh, by passing and also he's pretty good carrying the ball as well. And then that kind of releases Tonali to be, I'm a bit more of a difference maker, which I kind of think he suits this role well rather than being the guy at the base of midfield um, that just lets him get a bit further forward and and, and his final ball and his ball, uh, ball carrying closer to goal will be uh, pretty important, I think. So, yeah, it's a it's an exciting one. I think he would have played a pretty important role whether he went to Juve, Inter or, or Milan. So, um, yeah, I'm expecting, expecting a lot from him this year, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think there was a role that he could have slotted into at any of those sides, kind of, which is a testament to to how um, sort of reliable he was in his in his debut Serie A campaign last year. But also because of the style that he is as a player. Um, just returning to Juve just briefly, they've also been busy in the market since we last spoke about them uh, bringing in uh, Weston McKenney, which again is a shift in so the recruitment strategy, um, pivoting more towards signing younger talent in comparison to the last few years. I mean, I mean, from from a Juve fan perspective, what do you hope McKenney can do, and what 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 he can bring to this Juve team? Yeah, I think it definitely came from left field. It definitely was an interesting acquisition that no one really saw coming. Um, but it's low cost. It, he kind of fits in, I think, to this system that uh, Pilar wants to play of actively pressing and uh, winning the ball back as quickly as possible after losing it, um, which he's talked about. So yeah, I think there's still obvious question marks. Um, on other aspects of his game, but he looked, yeah, quite tidy uh, in his first preseason game. And he just gets that injection of energy into the midfield, which, uh, yeah, anyone that watched Juventus last season can could definitely tell you that that was a, a big problem um, with the likes of Kadira and Pjanic in there. So, yeah, I think he, he, he could be a, a real, I think off the bench, like a real um, spark uh, to come into the team and and, and make something happen. Yeah, you mentioned just before the, the, the fee for Tonali being, they didn't really overpay for him. It was more of a, a fair reflection. But um, probably the biggest transfer we'll see this window in Serie A, both in terms of the fee and how much of an impact the player could have on the side he's joining, is uh, one you touched on just before, which is Victor Osimhen at Napoli. Um, we discussed with Kevin Jeffries on the last episode of the podcast uh, just how influential Osimhen had been at Lille uh, in France but also his meteoric rise, really. And I mean, 80 million euros is, is a huge amount of money, particularly in this marketplace. But there are very few strikers of the same age who I'd say are on a similar upward trajectory as steep as Osimhen's right now, You know, who also have a, a proven track record at goals in various leagues, including a top five European league. And I, I know one player doesn't make a team. And there is the fact that Gennaro Gattuso has lost Alan from his midfield this year albeit he didn't play very much last year due, due to injury, but with Dries Mertens, Lorenzo Insigne, Fabian Ruiz, and now Ostermen, do you think Napoli can really push to be back in sort of the conversation for, for the top three, top two? 
Yeah, so, well, firstly, we just definitely have to acknowledge that Napoli were a completely different team once once uh, Gennaro Gattuso came into the into the picture last year. Uh, they won the Coppa Italia, and, yeah, they just look so much better all over the park, uh, way more um, intense almost, um, way more active out of possession than when they were under Ancelotti. Um, and I think, yeah, Osman is a, a really big signing for them. I think maybe it might be a tiny little bit of an overpay, but... Um, they knew what they needed, I think, and they'd kind of been struggling to replace uh, the goals of Higuain and then Mertens when he had that crazy season after uh, Higuain left. And yeah, that's what he's going to have to bring now. Um, but yeah, he, he's going to be another person that brings that high energy, um, great finisher. Uh, and then, yeah, if they can maybe get one or two other pieces around him I think if they can get Jeremy Borgo as one of the the players that's been touted as a potential uh, potential acquisition, um, that that duo could be uh, super scary uh, in transition, especially just the the pace and then um, Borgo's ball carrying, Osman's ability to kind of hit the channels and and stretch a defense. Um, yeah, that would be an absolute nightmare to come up against. So I'm um, yeah looking forward to that potentially happening, but. Uh, even if they don't sign Bogo, this is uh, yeah, this is a super move. Yeah, it's the big strides of of Osimhen that always that always stri- are striking to me because you know he as soon as he gets beyond that last line of defence and there's plenty of space for him to go into, it's not that he's conventionally pacey. It's rather the fact that he can just cover so much ground in such a short space of time. I mean, I think it was. I mean, yes, it was against Serie D opposition, uh, in but in his first sort of friendly outing for Napoli, I think he got a hat trick inside uh, eight or eighteen minutes, which. You know, it's, there's hitting the ground running, then there's that. Um, AS Roma are another of Italy's big sides. Um, we've discussed Milan, Juventus and, and um, Napoli so far. And, and while there's there's not been too much in the way of transfer activity there, um, a few free transfers aside, the big and really unfortunate news is that obviously Nicolo Zagnolo has, has suffered another injury, which is going to keep him out for, for months again after originally doing his ACL back in January. So... You know, now you've got Zaniolo out injured, Kolarov gone to Inter, Florenzi gone to PSG. You know, are we going to see a drop off from Roma this year, Steve? Yeah, it's probably Roma and Lazio, probably the two of the bigger teams that haven't made the strides forward that they probably would have wanted uh, this summer. Um, but, you know, Roma have just picked up Kumbula, which would be a good replacement for uh, Chris Smalling, who's going out, or who isn't coming back, rather. Um, but yeah, outside of that, you've probably got Jekyll going out and Milik coming in, which seems likely to happen, but not 100% yet. Uh, but that really doesn't change. It's kind of just interchanging pieces. Uh, Pedro came in. Uh, but yeah, that injury to Zaniolo is the real you know punch in the guts. You kind of lose the the ball carrying from midfield through to attack that you know makes him a uh, yeah such a dynamic and 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 you know, damaging player, um, especially when it's through the middle of the pitch rather than out wide. Uh, and they don't really have anyone that can replace that. So you know, like last season, we kind of uh, saw Pellegrini, Lorenzo Pellegrini kind of take a step up. Um, but yeah, he's more of a creator through his you know uh, uh, distribution rather than as a ball carrier, um, even though he can carry, but just not anywhere near the level uh, that Zaniolo can. But yeah, he's going to have to take another step up uh, this season to kind of Feel some more of that creative output that uh, Zaniolo has, uh, but then he doesn't really score the goals that Zaniolo does, and that's um, 
yeah, something, you know, uh, Roma kind of made up for it with having a lot of people uh, stepping up and, you know, getting four or five in the league. Um, but yeah, outside of Jekyll last season, they didn't have anyone uh, in double digits and they haven't really uh, made any moves to to bring someone in that's going to change that. Maybe Pedro can, can do something, but he's never really been a super high volume scorer, um, at least since he left Barcelona. So um, yeah, it could be, could be a tough one. Uh, I, I can't really see them uh, moving ahead of any of the teams they finished behind last year. I think that one of the big things with sort of the, the likely departure of Dzeko and, and Zaniolo are injured is that for at least the first four or five months of the season, you've got, I mean, it, especially if Milik doesn't come in, you're losing such a great deal of height and such a great deal of physicality in just the attack, which, you know, is, is something which can be understated sometimes as, as being very important. Zaniolo in particular has that physical profile, which makes him such an effective influence at running through the middle because he can swat away challenges. You know, he's six foot one, six foot two. You know, he's he's such a great ball carrier, but then he cut, he takes up so much space when he's carrying the ball, which is what makes him such an effective influence through the middle. Um um, yeah, I, I do sort of worry in a sense for, for Roma because, yeah, Lorenzo Pellegrini is going to have to pick up the slack quite considerably. And, of course, you know, the, the influence that Dzeko has had over the past few seasons, you know, you're not going to replace that overnight. Yes, Milik might be a similar sort of fit, but I I, I mean, personally, I don't think that, you, you know, you're going to be able to replace the influence of Dzeko. Uh, on that team. Um, moving on to, to Inter, we can't forget them either, uh, especially under the enigmatic as ever Antonio Conte. Um, they ran Juve close last season, uh, but didn't have enough puff to go all the way, really. Lataro Martinez, though, still a fantastic player, such a hard grafter, a great battler and, and great in the air for a player under six foot. But they've also got a few a few players coming through who might see some minutes this season, which is especially sort of what I'm hoping to to see with, with Inter this year. Um, I mean, the most likely of those is, is Alessandro Bastoni. He's probably going to continue um, starting at centre-back. Um, recently called up to the Italy squad for the first time. Um, but Lorenzo Pirola is another. Um, he'll be less involved, you'd expect, but he can play as a right-back or a centre-back and has been has been involved with the squad um, in pre-season and, and towards the end of last year in the post-lockdown period. Um, they've also got Frenchman Lucien Agume at the base of midfield. Um, Sebastiano Esposito to deputise for Lotaro and Lukaku. And I suppose that's just probably one of the most fun names you can say, to be honest, Sebastiano Esposito. Um, but the one I'd really like to talk to you about, Steve, is is, is a big name. It's Ashraf Hakimi, you know, signed from Real Madrid for somewhere in the region of 40 million. Um, you know, he was, he was an early window signing. So I think he may have been forgotten about ever so slightly. But could that be, you know, in your, your opinion, one of the best pieces of business this window? Yeah, so going back to Conte's early days at Juve, he turned uh, Stefan Lichsteiner into one of the most, uh, you know, barnstorming uh, right wing backs in the world, and um, and and turned Lichsteiner into such an important uh, piece of a, a team that that won a lot of titles in a row. Um, so yeah, if he can do something similar with a player that has uh, just so much more at his disposal, um, physically and technically. Uh, in Hakimi, then, uh, yeah, the potential for him to just explode next season is uh, is massive, uh, and especially going forward, I think uh, sometimes Martinez and Lukaku can kind of become a little bit isolated from the rest of the team. Uh, but then, yeah, with someone like Hakimi, you've got someone that can be uh, a really key outlet out wide um, to 
to get in behind a defense that way and to, and to stretch teams wide so they can't uh, always be concentrating so much on on the two strikers in the middle. Um, so, yeah, that's going to open up uh, Inter's attack in transition to, uh, to a player in Hakimi that showed last season uh, with the numbers that he put up in Dortmund that he can yeah, be uh, really devastating going forward. So I, I'm really hoping that Conte gives him the license as well um, because, yeah, if he does and he can put the kind of similar numbers up that he did last season in, in attack, then uh, it's going to go a long way towards uh, into being a part of the, the title race. I feel like with Italy, there, there are often quite a lot of in-country transfers um, compared to the, the other top five European leagues. So with the likes of Hakimi uh, and, and of course, uh, Western McKenney as well, I think it's quite good to see that you know players who've done it in the Bundesliga in Germany are also sort of being identified as being able to translate their styles to Serie A as well. And I suppose this year, we'll see whether that is sort of going to become a more viable um, destination for players who may have done well in uh, in Serie A, rather than, you know, maybe going to the Premier League or La Liga. Um, moving north, though, and a little bit west of Milan, and, and you're in France, home to Ligue 1, and, which has already returned. And, you know, that that's great to see back after that six-month absence. Um, of course, th- there's been a bit of trouble with, with Paris Saint-Germain, um, you know, having lost their first two games to Racing Club de Lens and uh, Olympique Marseille. Um, but I suppose that's of course, you know, they, they were missing plenty of key names due to the COVID quarantine, which, you know, doesn't seem to to be going away. So it looks as though that might uh, that might plague a few teams this season. Um, but we recently covered PSG uh, in, in our interview with Julien Laurent. So our focus in France goes straight to, to OL or Olympique Lyonnais, even though they won't be playing in Europe this season. Um, but they are still probably one of the most interesting sides that will be competing in Liga. Um Steve, as far as midfield trios go, um, Hussein Moir, uh, Maxence Kakare, and Bruno Guimaraes really isn't that bad, is it? You know, nice and balanced, very technical, always going to create plenty of chances for you, but also going to you know muck in and do the and do the dirty work. Do you think that Lyon could be in for a big year? I mean, crucially, if Moir stays, which is a big if at the moment, but given that the the condensed season will mean that teams are much more stretched, particularly those in European competition. Is that something where Lyon can steal a march? Yeah, firstly, I just want to say, I hope that you meant to say that the the pandemic could possibly plague the competition uh, if some of the players catch it. I thought that was quite funny. but um, it <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a little bit off the, off the cuff, to be honest. I think that was just, uh, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't intended. Um, yeah, in terms of Lyon, uh, yeah, well, firstly on Ua, I think, I think a lot of teams really want to sign him, but I don't really think anyone other than really Arsenal can afford him. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he stayed another season. Um, and yeah, that midfield trio is really fun. Uh, Kakare, Gimenez and, and Ua. Um, but yeah, I don't think that Leon are going to be uh, particularly great this season. I did wake up at 5am this morning to watch them and was extremely disappointed uh, in their 2-1 loss to uh, Montpellier. Um, yeah, the midfield is good. Kakare and, and Ua are going to be really exciting. Gimenez is going to be exciting. But uh, yeah, they've kind of lost a few players. And, you know, whatever your thoughts are on uh, Depay, who's seemingly on his way out, uh, Bertrand Traore, Marsal, Toussaint, Tete. Um, yeah, whatever your thoughts are on those players, it's uh, still a fair chunk of experience and talent to lose when... They haven't really replaced them uh, adequately yet. 
Um, yeah, the shining light, of course, is the, is the emergence recently of Kakare. Um, Sherky is going to play a lot more this season. He's going to be an absolute star. Um, and if they can keep him, which might be difficult because he really wants to leave, um, but Jeffrey in Adelaide uh, is back from his ACL um, and he could be uh, a player to step up as well this season. But yeah, um, a lot of question marks over Rudy Garcia. Um, probably some question marks on where the goals come from if they lose to Pi. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to have to wait and see. Yeah, just looking at that lineup for for Lyon's two one loss to Montpellier last night. Um, you know, Carl Toko Akambi and, and Tino Cadawere um starting up front for Lyon. And while yes, they're good European strikers, they're not sort of the strikers that you 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 back to to fire you back to European competition, would you? And then you've they're, also they're got... not uh, they're not Moussa Dembélé and, and Memphis Depay, that's for sure. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's 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 the polite way of, of saying it, really, isn't it? Um, but yeah, they're, they're losing Marcel, you know, uh, now using Maxwell Corne at left wing back. Um, I, I just yeah, it's it it does it troubles me a little bit, but I think the the one ray of hope is is obviously Ryan Cherky, um, who what he's sixteen, seventeen still. Madness, absolute madness. Um, so yeah, he'll be he'll be great if he starts sort of starting more games. But but Rudy Garcia, I think, said something in a press conference about you know the team having not playing in, uh, individualistically, and that was kind of a reason why Sherky wasn't wasn't playing so much. If I if I remember correctly from what I read this morning, so um, yeah, if Garcia doesn't use his season to try and get more minutes into someone like that, then it's yeah going to be a waste. I think. And that's already with them not playing in Europe uh, for the first time in a long time in Lyon. Yeah, it's something like 1996 or something, the, the last time they didn't play in European competition. But I'm sorry, th- those comments from Rudy Garcia, it's just like Hatem Ben Arthur at Newcastle all, all over again. You know, you, you, you've got to let these these flair players thrive, um, you know, especially when it's a team that you've got a little bit of a vested interest in. Um, but in, in something of a similar situation to Lyon, um, w- one of Marseille's star men, in, in the same way that Hussein Moua is, you know, is he, it, will he, won't he leave? Um, Marseille have, have Bouba Kamara um, still at the club, despite the fact that he could probably play elsewhere if, if he wanted to leave. Um, but he's a local boy and, and, he, and he's done so well there, probably their most important player after um, Dimitri Payet and, and Florian Tovin on, on their days. Um but Monaco as well on, on the south coast of France, you know, haven't been as busy in the market as they have been in years gone by. But it's the young players who've been at the club for, I don't know, the last 12, 18 months who've, who've come to the fore of late. Um, Steve, I know you'll be happy about this, but Sofiane Diop and, and William Goebbels um, scored against Nantes um, a couple of weekends ago. Both players we had huge hopes for when they initially broke through and, and got those moves. But now look as though they're actually going to kick on, hopefully. Yeah, I think I think Monaco are going to be extremely, extremely relieved uh, to see uh, Goebbels, especially on the score sheet. Uh, they spent a lot of money bringing him in as a 16, 17 year old when he when he arrived, uh, and he was pretty much injured essentially from the moment he made his first appearance uh, at the start of I think it was the eighteen uh, nineteen season. Uh, and he was pretty much injured until just before the, the first lockdown. Um, so, yeah, I think he had maybe two games where he made sub-appearances in that whole like, two-year span almost uh, where he was available um, and, yeah, got injured again. I think he had a, he had an ACL, thigh injuries, hamstring, the lot. So, um, yeah, I think the, the goal is going to be a super important one. It was an important one for the team because it was the winner. 
Um, it's going to be an important one for him and his confidence. But yeah, I think we definitely need to need to see more in his case. Uh, yeah, see how he is physically because that was one of the the biggest pluses to his game um, when he first arrived on the scene in, in Lyon. Uh, and yeah, just back on on Bubka Camera, it's kind of incredible to think that he's still uh, he's still just twenty. It kind of yeah, seems like he broke onto the scene like three four years ago, and it's yeah he was. 16, 17 and started playing heaps of games. And now, yeah, he's still only 20 and still hasn't got a move. But I think he's a great example of why, you know, you don't have to leave as soon as you break out in your first season, it, especially when you're at a, you know, Marseille tier where you're still at a, at a really strong club, um, that you don't have to get out as soon as possible. And, and when he does eventually move, he's going to probably waltz into the starting 11 of a pretty, pretty big team and, uh, and do well straight away. Yeah, and he's probably going to waltz into that into that team with whoever they may be as a defensive midfielder or as a centre back because he's obviously had the experience in both positions, which is is going to be so invaluable to him. Um, also in that position um, in in league on this season, um, stick sticking with Monaco just briefly, and um, there's there's Aurelien Chouameni, um, and he's going to be playing alongside Cesc Fabregas in in the heart of Monaco's midfield, which you know if nothing else is is an incredible education, and I can only imagine you know a pleasure to be uh, involved alongside. Um, Chouameni, of course, signed from Bordeaux last year and has started the first few games of this season, which again in a similar vein um, as Goebbels um, is 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 good to see because. You know, he did look as though he might be stalling a little bit. You know, he came through Bordeaux and then oh, did couldn't make the step up a few sort of places in the table to Monaco. Um, but again, just like Leon, Monaco won't be in European competition this season uh, either. They finished ninth last year, um, and that is because teams like Rennes were more consistent than than them last season. Um, a big year ahead for them in the Champions League, um, but an even bigger campaign for for Eduardo Camavinga uh, on a personal note. You know, it's already started quite well, becoming France's youngest ever debutant in a competitive fixture. Uh, I mean, Steve, do you have high hopes for Camavinga this year? I think everyone does. Um, yeah, Champions League is going to be really awesome to see. Uh, a real a, a test is going to be really awesome to see uh, coming up against those real uh, big teams. But yeah, we've kind of already seen from... Uh, I, haven't, I, I have to admit, I haven't watched a whole lot of him. But yeah, just from like seeing the clips of that goal he scored the other day, um, just the confidence as well is just incredible. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about Ryan Shirky and his confidence and his self belief when he's you know taking players on and stuff. But I mean, Eduardo Camavinga kind of maybe goes about goes about it in more of an understated way. But again, he is a player who has to be you know who has to have a, a huge a huge amount of self confidence. You know, I have no doubts whatsoever about him going right to the top. Um, you know, he does appear a little one footed at times, but you know, he's seventeen. That'll come. You know, seeing him in the Champions League is, is going to be excellent, as well as sort of seeing him develop into what I hope will be an all-round, you know, galloping midfielder, just moving through the gears. Um, he does still look a little bit awkward when moving through midfield with the ball at the moment, um, which is kind of why that you know his passing has been um, has, has been shot a light on uh, at the moment. But I think when he starts to fill out more, when he starts to really grow into his frame, which is I mean six foot two, I think. Um, you know that when when he he's seventeen, so you know that that's 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 all happened very quickly. You know when when he starts to grow into that, I think we'll see a real um, dominant midfielder uh, there. And and I suppose the world is his oyster, really. You know he could be anywhere from between a number six and a number ten. That that goal, um, the the one that was filmed from the stands, uh, which was which was a great angle as he just cut in from the from the wide areas and then went through and 
jinked one way, then the other and, and scored. I can't remember who it was against, but yeah, that was that was a good little taster of just what he can be capable of. Um, so hoping that that will be uh, that'll be something that we can see yeah, more. If, of if you're play. a if you're a defensive midfielder and you can add that to your game, then um, yeah, it's, you start to become a bit of a problem all over the pitch. Certainly, and that's probably why he's he's in the team. He's probably been doing that in training for quite a while. Um, but I'm going to have to apologise to you, Steve, because you know it's something of a compulsion. I can't discuss Ligue 1 without talking about Adil Oshish. I think it's about the eighth time I've name dropped him on the podcast, and that's more than he has senior appearances in professional football. Um, but you know he has started life pretty well at Sanetian. You know, created four chances the other week against uh, Strasbourg, uh, most of which were from set pieces. But again, it showed that uh, you know an 18 year old's already been given set piece duty. Um, but he's really taken to that young side that Claude Puel is building um, and sort of overhauling, really. We saw Yanam Via go to Olympiacos, one of the big earners. Um, but moving on, though, I don't want to stay on Auschwitz for too long. Um, but we have we have Germany to cover, home of the U- European champions, Bayern München, which is in home, turned to TikTok stars Alfonso Davies and uh, Robert Lewandowski. Ah, I mean, they're going to win the Bundesliga again, aren't they? Yeah, well... Uh, they finished uh, last season pretty strongly. Uh, <laughs> no one could get close to them, really. Um, Leon scared them for about 15 minutes, and then that was done. And then, yeah, in the final, they looked pretty, uh, pretty, yeah, strong. Like <laughs> after after seeing Le- Leon Goretzka, all these players that we talk about that need that need to kind of fill out into their bodies at 17, 18. I think we need to send all of them to whatever trainer uh, assisted. <laughs> Uh, Goretzka and Coutinho and some of the other Bayern players and, and they'll be at the level in no time. Um, yeah, they just look kind of f- physically just ready as soon as they got back into the Champions League and they just kind of destroyed everyone. Um, and then, yeah, their, their squad's just made up so nicely to kind of, uh, you know, they got a couple of problems with Thiago and uh, Alaba to resolve. Um, but other than that, uh, maybe, you know, not having continue off the bench is a bit of a pain, but uh, yeah, they should be probably ready to go out there and, and what is it, the, the ninth in a row if they win this year? I think it'll be nine, yeah. Not quite Juventus is 10 uh, oh, that they're aiming difficult. for, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's nine that, that they're aiming for, which again is just ridiculous, but. Yeah, I mean, the, the title race probably isn't going to throw up too many surprises, uh, but it'll be good to hopefully see more of um, Jamal Musiala in, in the first team setup. He's the, the dual national attacking midfielder eligible for, for England and, and Germany, who was at Chelsea but became Bayern's youngest Bundesliga debutant last season, I believe. Um, I mean, the, the, on, on our sort of rundown for this episode, I think we just skipped over Bayern Munich and went straight to, to Borussia Dortmund. And I think that's mainly because they're just so fun. You know, if there were chess pieces, they'd all be queens, sort of so versatile, you know, all over the place, so powerful when, when it comes down to it. But they're not, I mean, essentially because of Bayern's place in that league, they're not the most important piece on, on the chessboard. Um, on the topic of Dortmund, you know, what are we discussing first? Breakout years or signings or, or, or both? Yeah, I just want to see a full year of Highland. Um like we saw him come in and hit the ground running in the half season, but I just I want to see him and Lewandowski just going head to head and just going for that, uh, yeah, uh, golden boot. Um, I can't remember who it was that used to go uh, with Lewandowski that they always had an ongoing battle back in the day. Yeah, I think it was a, a Bamiyang that he used to. Yeah, they used to have a little ongoing competition. So yeah, if uh, Haaland can come in and uh, 
start his own competition with Lewandowski. It could be a little nice little sideshow to what yeah will probably be somewhat of a boring-ish league season unless yeah Dortmund or Leipzig can pull something out of the bag. But yeah, I think this will be more of a transitional kind of year for uh, Dortmund with a couple of new younger players probably that are going to come in and play some more minutes, um, especially if Sancho leaves or that. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, the Dortmund always fun. So yeah. I mean, Jude Bellingham, we, we do need to mention him. Um, not to unnecessarily hype him up, but just the fact that he obviously made his debut the other the, the other evening in the in the cup against uh, Duisburg. Um, oh, I hope that's how you pronounce it. And, uh, you know, he already looks so secure in that Dortmund team. Um, you know, the, the preseason games, he looked so sharp with his passing. Um, you know, he, he appears to, to, to spot danger before it develops and you know, putting him in amongst better players has only served to, to sharpen him up, really. And he's at that age where everything he takes on in every training session with those fantastic players around him, you know, he's going to be absorbing like a sponge. That's not to say that he wouldn't have done that at Birmingham, but I think the demands and the level of training will just be higher um, at, at Dortmund, uh, you know, a Champions League club, understandably. Um, and then you've got Gio Reyna as well. You know, excellent talent. U- US love them, some representation at Dortmund and I mean, he's a great facilitator for the likes of Haaland, as you mentioned previously. Where do you think um, Bellingham's going to play most of his minutes? In? I actually didn't see the game, but do you know where he played in the in the game against Duisburg? I think it was more of like an eight, um, which I hope that you could play there because I feel like he's got that all-round skill set where he can still threaten sort of the box without having to be drawn into doing too much defensive work. I feel like if you have... Um, you know, players behind you like Axel Witzel, then they can do that for you, surely. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the moment, he again, he's another one who I think can play anywhere in that sort of between six and ten role. You know, he doesn't feel it doesn't feel. But as he's also he's played kind of, wide and done some of that as well. well last yeah, year, Birmingham City. So, I mean, he has, but he's not going to get wide in this team, is in this Dortmund team, is he? Because you know, you have the likes of Sancho out there instead, and. And of course, like Gio Reyna can also play there. So um, I, I think you, you'd rather have those players there rather than Bellingham. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd say playing Bellingham through the middle where you've probably got the best chances of him seeing a lot of the ball is how you're going to get the best out of him. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> now, finally, La Liga, because we don't have an awful lot of time. Uh, I'm going to limit us to just the big three, uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid and, and Atletico Madrid. Um, first off, you know, forget Lionel Messi and his contract saga. I'm bored of that. Absolutely bored of it. It's not under 23 football. Um, all I'm interested in at Barcelona is Ansu Fati and Francisco Trincao. Probably not at the stage yet where they're going to take on the role Neymar had in that MSN front three, but I'll tell you what, they are getting there. Yeah, well, I think you definitely have to play both of them as much as you can this season. Um, you know, you've definitely still got that real prospect that Messi's going to be gone uh, come next season. Um, but it's not like Barcelona are really, you know, blessed with amazing veteran options anymore. You've got, you know, Messi, of course, and uh, Griezmann, and then. Uh, then you've got Martin Brathwaite, possibly Depay. Sounds like he might be coming in. Um, but yeah, I think uh, probably first you have to give uh, Moussa Dembele a chance to come good finally. They spent so much money on him. Uh, you've got a new coach. You probably have to give him a chance to actually uh, 
show what he's worth and maybe even if you do want to sell him eventually kind of get some value back uh but then yeah you definitely need to get time into Fati, into pedri into trincao into uh, ricky puig um and then it helps obviously you can run pedri trincao and and uh puig through the midfield uh which is going to give kuman more options um so i think there's definitely space to get these players in but you know it's no secret barcelona's squad is just uh, completely out of whack it's terribly made up it's got so many guys that are over 30 and then it's got so many guys that are kind of under 22 under 21 um and then you know most of those guys over 30 just you know aren't at the level that they used to be when barcelona were challenging for champions leagues and and winning the league most years um so there's kind of no point you know flogging the dead horse and and you know extracting all those minutes out of guys like busquets and Jordi Alba and PK when you've got, you know, other guys coming through. Obviously, you can still play them sometimes, but you, you, it's, con- it's going to be a transition year and you've got to uh, prepare your team for the future, especially if that future uh, won't include Messi. Messi could be on his way out. Um, and, I mean, the players to replace him, as we just mentioned, Ansu Fati, uh, Francisco Trincao. Yeah, they've, they've got their, their own quirks, but of course, no one's ever going to come close to, to Messi. But I just want to discuss Ansu Fati very briefly. You know, um, made his, his Spain debut, um, scored his first Spain goal uh, over the international break and hopefully, you know, can build on sort of those those 24 uh, La Liga appearances and seven goals that he, that he already has. I mean, that's already quite a good record for someone who turns 18 in October. Um, I mean, even if he is playing in a great side. You know, f- I suppose from a wider standpoint, what kind of season... It does depend on whether they bring in Depay, Dembele, you know, all these more senior attacking players. But what kind of season do you envisage Fati and probably Barcelona having in in general? Well, I think a player like Fati is just like so fun, um, can do a lot of things. Uh, He gives you a lot of options for how you want to set up your attack. Coming from wide, can run through the middle, uh, get in behind, finish as well, can come deep and play for the ball. Um, And then. I just love I love the idea of kind of all these kind of it kind of reminds me of old Tiki Taka Barcelona. You can imagine like Fati and Pedri and Puig and Trincao running around or all these kind of uh, really technically strong uh, smaller players um, that can all interchange and you know all have uh, yeah can all get forward and score can all most of them drop deep into midfield and create. Um, so yeah, as I said, I think it's going to be a transition year. I think everyone knows that, and I think Messi above all knew that, and that's why he wanted to leave. Uh, but it could be a fun year as well, and a lot of a lot of Barcelona f- uh, fans, I think, for a long time have been wanting to see uh, these young players through uh, coming through the team, and and now that yeah, they're probably not going to be on the verge of competing for a whole lot this season. Uh, yeah, it could be a good way to. Uh, make the fans happy is uh, blooding these younger players and getting some minutes into them. Now, I can't remember where I saw this, um, but they, I just I would like to stress this isn't an original Joe Donahue opinion or thought that I've come up with myself. Um, but I did see somewhere somebody suggests that 2021, Messi's contract runs out uh, and also Marcelo Bielsa's one-year deal at Leeds expires. The prospect of them both returning to Newell's old boys in Argentina... Um, for one last one last hurrah, a swan song, um, where they could potentially win the Super League. There, that's hey, I'm I'm putting it out there. It could it could happen. 
but you know as long as we uh, get a netflix documentary about it well i mean that's going to be part of the deal surely you know you don't negotiate <laughs> you don't negotiate those two deals without making sure there are a few cameras there to document it um but yeah stay, sticking with la liga um you know the champions and uefa youth league champions for the first time um real madrid uh, you know they're as stacked as ever fede valverde went from strength to strength last season um, martin odegaard is returning and, and crucially staying put um, after his good loan spell at Real Sociedad. Um, Vinicius and Rodrigo on the wings are absolute dynamites. Um, they're, they're a year older as well. Um, and they're still holding Luka Jovic captive. Um, but they, they haven't... Interestingly to me, when I was doing sort of the, the background for this pod, was I found that Real haven't won back-to-back titles um, since 2008. And I've only managed it twice in the last 30 years, which seems wrong. And I checked it a few times, but it isn't. Um, you know, given the situation at Barca being a bit messy, um, can you see anything other than Real coasting to another title? I mean, come on, Steve, that you have to. If you found the, if you found the plague one funny, if you found the plague funny, at least give me a, a bit of pity laughter there. The plague one was at least clever. Come on, yeah. No, but can you see? Can you see anything other than Real? You know, coasting to another another title. Uh, not really. Uh, well, especially because I think above everyone. Uh, they were probably the best prepared team to come into this kind of pandemic-affected transfer market um, pretty much because they really didn't need to sign anyone. And I don't think they've actually paid a transfer fee for anyone yet. Because, um, you know, you get... Firstly, you get Erdegaard back from his loan. Uh, you get Asensio back from his uh, knee injury that he had. Um, so you straight away got, yeah, two really influential players that you didn't have for either all of last season or most of last season back in the squad. Um, and then, yeah, just when you compare their squad to Barcelona, their, their, their squad is just a mix of guys all over the age curve. Uh, you've got a couple of guys in your 30s, lots in their prime, and then still some, you know, really strong, uh, a really strong core of under-23 guys coming through. Uh, Vinicius, Rodrigo, Erdegaard, of course, Valverde, as you mentioned, Militao. Uh, you've sent out Kubo on loan. Uh, Rainier on loan to uh, Dortmund. You've got Regulon going out with a. Uh, he's probably going to. Sounds like he's going to Spurs with a buyback option. Um, so then from there, you're just trying to get, I think, the most you can as well out of uh, Lukijovic, who, yeah, just didn't get the minutes, I think, last year. Um, but then it sounds also like I was reading a, uh, reading a bit of backgrounding on him for, for this, and the, the kind of message coming out was that he's in absolutely peak condition. Uh, in training, in preseason training. So, um, yeah, if he's in peak condition and he should be getting some more minutes as well with, you know, Benzema's, I think, about to turn 33, if I'm correct. Um, yeah, if he can hit the ground running as well this season with more minutes and score some goals, then they'll be looking uh, really, really strong. Um, and then, you know, he's obviously not under 23, but... Uh, we didn't see the best of Eden Hazard last year, so I can only think if he's come back, comes back in, you know, ripping shape and and starts to tear it up, then yeah, it's going to be very, very scary. And I think if you know, probably from right now, I'd probably go with Real Madrid as yeah, my Champions League favourites. If I had to pick someone right now, 
Interesting about Luka Jovic, you say he's in peak condition. I know over lockdown, he there was uh, something came out that said he'd broken his foot. And I remember reading that at the time thinking, how can you possibly break your foot when you're in lockdown and not actually going out? And then I actually did the same thing about a month later. So apologies <laughs> apologies to Luka Jovic, because I know he's an avid listener of this podcast. But yeah, I do understand that it is possible. Um, but on the topic of strikers, you know, I think the only real barrier that could be in the way of, of Real Madrid retaining a back-to-back title is a, a, an enormous drop-off in form from Karim Benzema. But I don't, I mean, yeah, he's turning, what, 33, is it? I don't really see that happening just yet. Yeah, he's not really the player that kind of relies on physicality. He's just he's just so clever. So um, they probably, yeah, with Jovic on the sideline as, as well, they don't have to, you know, extract every last minute out of Benzema. So they can probably... Uh, use them a bit more sparingly than they possibly have in the past. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that shouldn't be an issue. Um, now we finish with Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone's side haven't exactly been the best watch, you know, from an under-23 perspective during his, during, throughout his time there. Um, however, you know, the, the saving grace now is that they do still have Joao Felix um, recently scored his first goal for Portugal and, you know, against Leipzig in that Champions League semi-final in August, reminded everybody what he could do, you know, taking the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, didn't go quite as smoothly as as intended in his first year there, it's fair to say. And he's got six years left on that contract. You know, hardly came cheap at around 120 million euros in total. You know, so you do imagine he's got a few more years there. Um, do you think with hindsight, a seven-year deal was a, maybe a bit of a mistake? Uh, it depends what the money was. I'm not sure what deal he's on, but uh, if it was a nice chunk of change, then you can't say that uh, signing a seven-year contract is necessarily a bad thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I always did think it was a little bit strange just the move going to At- At- Atletico, just because yeah, I kind of you, you don't really think of him as the the you know Simeone stereotype. You're always kind of thinking of uh, you know Diego Costa when you think of a Simeone attacker or or someone like Griezmann, kind of more of the you know physical uh stand your ground type of guys that uh that rely on that part of their game more so than someone like felix who likes to operate in the kind of pockets of space in behind uh, in front of the defense and, and make things happen from there um and then also like 126 million was an insane fifa guy that had really only been a starter for the you know the better better part of six months or so uh as good as he was performing um yeah but that being all being said i think he's still 20 um, he had a couple of injuries as well last season that I think uh, just kept interrupting. I don't think he got more of a run, more than a run of like seven or eight games in at any uh, any one point in time. Um, but yeah, I think yeah he'll he'll get more games into him. He probably has to kind of f- fill out and get a he he needs to go to Goretzka's um Goretzka's <laughs> trainer as well. Uh, but yeah, he he's he's still definitely quality. I think he started to to piece it together towards the back end of last season more than he had when he first arrived as well. Obviously, Diego Costa, uh, those sorts of forward players are much more moldable in the system um, with with Diego Simeone than than um, João Felix, who is, again, more of, more of sort of a, a free-spirited player. Um, I mean, but we can hope, you know, he's got exceptional talent. And, you know, the, the options that he has around him to play alongside are probably better than what he had at Benfica. So, I mean, you know, the likes of Alvaro Morata, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, he didn't exactly succeed at Chelsea, but I mean, at Juve, I mean, of course, you'll remember him there. 
Um, you know, and he's yeah, he's by all accounts he's done he's done well at Atletico Madrid. So I mean, do you hope that maybe we'll see a bit more of Felix Morata as sort of a, as a, as a two this season? Yeah, you probably won't find too many Juventus fans that don't have fond memories of uh, Morata at the club. He was always an excellent performer at Juve, especially uh, alongside Tevez. Um, and if if Felix can be that kind of Tevez type and get a bit more of that terrier attitude about him that Tevez had, it would be. I'm sure Simeone would be extremely, extremely happy. Um, but it, I actually do think it's a good fit with Morata as well. Uh, Morata, he's come, become kind of more target manish now than he was, especially when he was at Juve. Um, but he can still stretch the defense and still open up spaces for someone like Felix to, to operate in. And then, of course, Felix is so you know, crafty operating in those pockets. He's proven at Benfica especially that he can create and score at an extremely high rate. Um, but I think you also have to like caveat everything that happens with him with the fact that when he was at Benfica, uh, they scored over 100 goals. I looked this up before. Over 100 goals in their season uh, in 2018-19 uh, when he was uh, dominating there. And then Atletico last season scored 51 times in the league. So, um, yeah, you always have to kind of mesh those two things together when you're comparing how he did in, at his time in Benfica to, to, to what he's doing now. So he's, yeah, if, if he's in a team that's scoring 50 goals a season, he's never going to have those insane numbers that you expect from someone that uh, you know costs you 126 mil. But at the same time, I don't think Simeone, Simeone will care as long as they're getting the results. I love how you put in that that little, uh, I, I checked this up before, um, just as you knew that where I'd be questioning where on earth you got that oh. um, st- statistic from, <laughs> plucked, plucked out of thin air. I'm always well prepared. <laughs> of course you are. Um, well, thank you for, for tuning in to the latest edition of this, the Scouted Football Podcast. Um, this has been our, our Euro preview, you know, covering a number of the big leagues and big under 23 players across Europe's top five. Um, this time last year, uh, Steve and I and, and Justin Sosa, uh, we tipped Erling Haaland, Serginho Dest and Yanis Haji for breakout seasons. And I think it's fair to say they all did all right at the bare minimum. Uh, one of those doing much better than literally everybody expected. Um, so hopefully a few of the guys listed in this episode, um, who, who may be a bit more well-known than that trio were last, last year, um, hopefully the, these guys will go on to do similar things. Um, if you'd like to hear more of Steve and myself in particular, uh, get yourself on over to our Patreon, as that is where we'll be releasing an additional podcast per month for the measly sum of just £3 per month, which if you are in the UK like me, that is the price of a good pint. Um, as well as that, you get additional goodies in the form of analysis pieces, interviews and more. Um, and for a little bit extra, you get full access to each of the Scouted Football Handbook digital archives, which are the best scouting manuals out there. Um, Steve, got anything to add just before we uh, we close this one? Yeah, I just want to know who was the person that picked Haaland as the breakout last year? Who's the person who gave you Haaland as, as the breakout? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you again for having me. It was a, always a pleasure. Yeah, always, always great to chat, Steve. Uh, and thank you very much for, for giving up your time. Um, yeah, we hope you've enjoyed this one. Thank you to Steve and, and uh, thank you from both of us uh, for tuning in. Take care. Bye for now.